0: You're listening to a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the global initiative for asthma. We've been interviewing world-renowned asthma specialists, healthcare professionals, and patients, focusing on the issues, objectives, and achievements of GINA, and to look ahead to the future developments that the next 25 years will bring. In our latest interview, we speak to Professor Helen Riddell, Chair of the GINA Science Committee. In our latest podcast, we're going to focus on the management of asthma with Professor Helen Riddell, Chair of the GINA Science Committee and a research leader at the Walcock Institute of Medical Research in Sydney, Australia. Helen, thanks for joining us today. Hello. Now, I understand that there are important new recommendations by GINA in 2019. Can you tell us more?
1: Yes, the most important change in GINA 2019 was that the treatment of asthma with short-acting bronchodilators alone is no longer recommended for adults and adolescents. So this is a very fundamental change because treatment with these short-acting bronchodilators or reliever inhalers has been the starting treatment for asthma for the last 50 years and certainly um, has been in guidelines since they first were developed in 1989.
0: So what was the rationale behind the new recommendation?
1: There was very long-standing evidence about the risks of treating asthma with short-acting bronchodilators alone. So initially, asthma was thought of as being just a condition of bronchoconstriction, of narrowing the airways. And the short-acting bronchodilators worked very effectively to relieve that. But what was discovered was that if the patient with asthma was just taking these medications alone, even though their symptoms were relieved, they were still at risk of having severe flare-ups and of dying of asthma. And those risks increased the more that they used the short-acting bronchodilators. We've known that for a very long time, And we've also known that inhaled corticosteroids, anti-inflammatory treatment for asthma, would reduce the risk of dying of asthma by around half, even at a low dose. But the problem was that for people with mild asthma, particularly those with infrequent symptoms, it wasn't very appealing to have to take a regular treatment every day, even when they had symptoms So Gina has gone through a long process, in fact a 12-year process, of identifying evidence for different strategies that could be used to reduce that risk, but without the need to take a daily regular maintenance treatment.
0: I see. So with the treatment of asthma, with short-acting bronchodilators alone no longer recommended for both adults and adolescents, what are you now recommending instead of that
1: for adults and adolescents with mild asthma one of the main treatments has been as i mentioned a low dose inhaled corticosteroid treatment taken every day that is still recommended but an additional alternative is now recommended and that is to use a low dose of inhaled corticosteroid in combination with formoterol which is a rapid-acting, long-acting bronchodilator medication, using that as needed for symptom relief. The evidence to support this is actually now very substantial. So when Gina made these recommendations in April of this year, we had evidence from two large studies amounting to over 8,000 patients that this strategy would reduce the risk of severe flare-ups or exacerbations by two-thirds compared with using a short-acting broctylator alone. And it was as good as reducing exacerbations as a regular daily inhaled corticosteroid treatment. So it's very substantial evidence that was behind the change in recommendation. Not only did we now have evidence of the risk of treating with short-acting bronchodilators alone, but we now had a feasible alternative that would be acceptable to patients.
0: So what sort of evidence do we have for as-needed use of ICS plus plus motorol in steps one to two? Do we have some safety data on that?
1: We have two large studies in over 8,000 patients with mild asthma. The first of those compared as-needed short-acting bronchodilator with as-needed budesonide for and with regular inhaled corticosteroid with an as-needed short-acting bronchodilator. This study showed a two-thirds reduction in risk of severe exacerbations compared with the short-acting bronchodilator alone. The safety data from this study show that it's in fact much safer to use the low-dose combination as needed for symptoms than it is to use the short-acting bronchodilator alone because of that very substantial reduction in risk. There was a second study, a more pragmatic study, that compared the as-needed budesonide for motorol with regular inhaled corticosteroid, and this showed non-inferiority. So the two treatments had a similar effect on reducing exacerbations. In terms of other outcomes that are important to patients, there was a very, very small difference in symptom control assessed by the asthma control questionnaire, but this was well below the level that we regard as clinically important. And there were no new safety signals with this treatment that were not previously known from use of that strategy as part of step three and step four and step five treatment.
0: And can you tell us what are the main pharmacological treatment groups available for treating asthma?
1: So in many countries, these are called preventers and relievers, or in the US, controllers and relievers. So the reliever medication will work within a few minutes to relieve symptoms when they occur, and many people will use those if needed before exercise. Then there are the preventer or controller medications, which in the past have only been available as maintenance treatments These are treatments that reduce the risk of severe exacerbations and reduce the risk of asthma-related death by treating underlying airway inflammation and also by reducing the amount of the anti-inflammatory treatment needed if a long-acting bronchodilator is added as well.
0: And can you tell us a bit more about step three treatment, Helen?
1: In step three, the main treatment strategy is a low dose of an inhaled corticosteroid and anti-inflammatory in combination with a long-acting beta agonist. For the last uh, about 13 years, there have been two ways of using these treatments. So one is the conventional way where the combination ics LABA was used as maintenance treatment. And then for symptom relief, the patient used a short-acting bronchodilator. The second strategy, which we've had for the last 13 years or so, has been what is called maintenance and reliever therapy. So this strategy is used with a combination of inhaled corticosteroid and formoterol, And the inhaled corticosteroid can either be budesonide or beclomethasone. With the maintenance and reliever strategy, the patient takes a regular daily inhaled corticosteroid for combination as their maintenance treatment, and they use the same medication, again in low dose, as their reliever treatment. What has been established is that particularly for patients at increased risk of an exacerbation or flare-up, for example, through having one in the last 12 months, that the maintenance and reliever strategy reduces their risk of severe exacerbations very substantially compared with if they were taking the conventional ICS-LARBA combination with a short-acting bronchodilator as their reliever. So these are two strategies that can be used in step three and with a higher dose of the inhaled corticosteroid can also be used at steps four and five. So you've
0: mentioned using um, ICS for motorol as a reliever. Uh, can that be used for uh, other combinations?
1: No, this is important that for patients who are using an ICS with a LARBA where the larva is not for motorol, the recommended reliever is a short-acting bronchodilator. We don't have any evidence at present for the safety of using two LARBAs one as maintenance and one as a reliever and so Gina has not recommended using two different larvas together.
0: And you mentioned higher doses of combination therapy in steps four and five. What if asthma is still not well controlled despite increasing the dose? What are the options?
1: One of the goals of asthma treatment is to get good control of asthma, and that means control of symptoms and also reducing the risk of severe exacerbations or asthma deaths. An additional goal is to do that with the minimum amount of treatment. However, there are some people whose asthma doesn't respond to the initial low dose of combination therapy. And in that context, if they're taking it regularly, and their inhaler technique is correct, then we may consider stepping up the dose to a medium dose of combination therapy. And then in a small proportion of patients, it may need to be stepped up to a high dose of combination therapy. However, we really think it's desirable not to use that for a long period of time. And so that's the step at which we would recommend that patients should be referred to a specialist if that's available, and certainly to be able to check for factors that might be contributing to asthma not being well controlled. So for example, there may be comorbidities that are causing symptoms that mimic asthma, or that may be contributing to worse asthma control. For a patient like this, there are quite a few things that need to be checked through, confirm the diagnosis of asthma, for example, check for modifiable risk factors, and check for comorbidities. And if these things have all been checked, then this is a situation in which we give the patient the label of severe asthma. And for those patients, we now have additional treatment options available in many countries. These are add-on therapies and also add-on biologic therapies for severe asthma. This involves quite detailed assessment of the patient's phenotype and these um, issues are addressed in a pocket guide that the GINA strategy report has also published. This is available online on the GINA website so it's a pocket guide about the treatment of difficult to treat and severe asthma.
0: What's very clear Helen from what we've been talking about over the last few minutes is that asthma treatment is definitely not a one-size-fits-all scenario. It's much more complex than that, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's right. There isn't just one type of asthma. And in addition, every patient has differences in terms of their environment, their exposures, their own preferences and goals of treatment, their individual risk factors. And so for the last five years, Gina has been particularly emphasising the importance of personalising treatment taking into account those factors that I mentioned and also discussing with the patient in terms of shared decision-making, what treatment that they would regard as acceptable, what are their goals for treatment, what are their concerns about treatment. So this is a shared decision-making is a really important part of asthma management. In the genus stepwise treatment, what you'll see there are the preferred treatments, which means the treatments that will give the greatest benefit for the largest proportion of patients, but for each step there are additional controller options that are mentioned and these are the things that can be discussed with patients as additional options if their asthma is not well controlled.
0: Can I ask a perhaps very obvious question, Helen? Are asthma drugs safe?
1: Well, there's no drug I think that is 100% effective and 100% safe, when we're making treatment recommendations, we always take into account risks and benefits. And that's the risks of treating and not treating, and the benefits of treating and not treating. In the case of asthma medications, 50 years ago, or even 30 years ago, the majority of treatment was with oral corticosteroids that had really nasty side effects if taken long term or frequently. And the development of inhaled corticosteroids really dramatically changed the perspective for asthma in that the side effect profile is dramatically better. Always, when we're considering these treatments, we consider the risks and benefits. The risks of the low-dose inhaled corticosteroids, either on their own or in combination, are minuscule compared with the risks of untreated asthma, which affects quality of life difficulty with employment, difficulty sleeping at night, difficulty exercising. So the effects of uncontrolled asthma are very substantial and balanced against that. For low-dose inhaled corticosteroids alone or in combination, virtually no side effects that are known. For patients that do need higher doses of inhaled corticosteroids, there is a small increase in risk. And that's one of the reasons that we have a focus in the GINA report on finding the minimum dose that is effective in controlling each individual patient's asthma. We encourage stepping down treatment when asthma has been well controlled for a couple of months.
0: Now, I know that GINA has been at the forefront of educating professionals and asthma patients about the importance of inhaler technique. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Inhaler technique is one of those things that that might seem obvious. For example, when you take a tablet, there's not much you can do wrong. But one of the things that I discovered very early in my professional life was that many patients were not taking their inhalers correctly. And some of them were taking their inhaler in a way that meant they were in fact getting zero medication. So I've been involved in research about inhaler technique for around 25 years, what we found was that around about 80% of patients were not using their inhalers correctly, and that when we corrected their technique, we got as much benefit as you would normally see in a clinical trial where you added an extra treatment or uh, increased the dose. The other concerning feature was that we found that many health professionals also were not able to use inhalers correctly, and so there's been a very substantial amount of work done to provide resources to help people know how to use inhalers correctly, and those resources are directed both at patients and at health professionals. In the GINA report, we emphasise inhaler technique on many, many pages in the report because it is so important. Inhaler technique and adherence together account for most of the problems with asthma control in the community. So it's really important that these basics are done well.
0: Professor Helen Riddell, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. The GINA website has a suite of up-to-date, evidence-based documents, booklets, videos, an implementation toolkit, and other useful information. If you're a healthcare professional interested in GINA resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us via our website, ginaasthma.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of asthma.